0: Guys, welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Investor Intelligence. Brought to you by the team at The Property Mentors, it's your weekly podcast for all things investment. And as always, hosted by me, Phoebe Zakowski Wallace. Today I've got another very special guest sitting down with me. Now, if you've been listening from the start, you'd know that one of the points that Luke is always reiterating is the importance of having your team of experts around you. One of these experts being your mortgage broker. Today I've got the amazing Chelsea Burton. Now, Chelsea is a senior broker at an independent mortgage-broking firm used exclusively by the property mentors and specializes in investment property loans. So today we delve into what a mortgage broker does how to source the right one for you and what is happening in the market at the moment from her perspective. And given the market is always changing and simply because she is just a joy to talk to, we will be having Chelsea on as a regular guest, but I hope you enjoy today's episode. Here's Chelsea. So, Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you for having me. Now, you're not just any mortgage broker, you're actually the mortgage broker for us here at the Property Mentors. And Luke and I have touched on the role of a mortgage broker in one of our earlier episodes uh, when we were talking about who you want in your team of experts, also known as your core wealth team. But in your own words, If someone had never heard of a mortgage broker or maybe has heard of one but is unsure of what they do, how would you describe what one does just in a general sense and why
1: someone should use one? Yes, absolutely. So as you all know, you can walk into a bank and you can get a mortgage and that bank is going to tell you about the products that they have on offer. They're going to tell you about the services and what they can do to help you. If you don't meet their criteria, then they're going to tell you that you can't get a loan. Um, And there are a handful of banks that have branch access where you can actually do that. A mortgage broker's job is to give you more, more options. So walking into a bank, they're not going to tell you about products that other banks have. They're only going to tell you about theirs. Whereas a mortgage broker has access to all of the products with all of the different lenders. And so they can find the bank that's going to suit you best without you having to apply for a loan with each one of them. They can find you better deals quite often than you would get in a bank. And they can offer solutions when a general big four bank product won't help. So particularly for an investor where sometimes you know it's not your first loan, it's not the only mortgage that you're going to have. A standard bank product with a big four isn't necessarily going to be what's going to suit you best financially and for your long-term investment goals and that's where a mortgage broker is really important.
0: Yeah, as much as it would be nice for the um, the banks to tell you if there was a better offer somewhere else, they're definitely not going to be doing that and their boss wouldn't be help- no. happy if they, if they were to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. I've never ever heard CBA tell you to go to AMV. No, and that, would, that would be far too <laughs>
0: convenient for us, wouldn't it? <laughs> Exactly. So, Luke is constantly making a strong point about finding the right mortgage broker for your specific situation, so can you explain to me in a bit more detail how you're different to the average mortgage broker, in that you do predominantly deal with investor lending?
1: Absolutely. So, the majority of mortgages are home loan mortgages for your own house, and the majority of mortgage brokers know how to do a loan on your own home. Hmm. Once you get to one or more, particularly more investment properties, that's where mortgage brokers don't necessarily understand what you need. So unless they have experience in investment mortgage broking, they will look at the basic mortgage products and they're not going to look at uh, your strategy as a whole. And they're not going to understand the nuances involved in getting more and more loans for more and more investment properties and how that works. So one of the benefits that I have is that I am a property investor myself. Um, I've made mistakes and I've learned what good and bad loans are for property investing. Um, and I use that experience and I pass that on to my clients. And so it basically means that I understand what sort of loans a client needs when they want to actually build an investment portfolio.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And just to break a few of the, the sort of terms down, so lender usually means the banks, Correct. but are there any other examples?
1: Yeah. So when you think bank, you think your you majors, you know, Westpac, NAV, CBA, there's yep. a, a lot of lenders that aren't household names, um, a lot of banks that aren't household names and they're normal banks, they're normal, um, exactly what you would expect a bank to do they're just not somebody that you've ever heard of before and Then there are private lenders private lenders are where you get um, money from people rather than banks Um, And there are you know a few other things as well, you know that do personal asset finance and That sort of thing like cars and that sort of thing, which I tend to avoid.
0: And what is the, or what, is or what are the main drivers behind changes in products offered by lenders?
1: So ordinarily, it's a bit of a combination of new rules handed down by the governing bodies, which has happened a few times since the Royal Commission that occurred about two years ago. Um, and most recently in November, there were some new rules that were handed down um, saying that banks had to look at things a different way. Uh, also, it's banks have to balance their owner-occupied and investment debt and they've got ratios that they have to maintain. So, if in any given financial year, they can only provide so many owner-occupied loans and so many investment loans. And so, if those ratios get out of balance or those they get close to their limit, then they start to pull back on that kind of lending.
0: Okay. And why, why is it important to have your broker and your mentor work closely on your property plan?
1: Yeah, so you will have an investment strategy and investment strategies differ depending on different people. Some people want to get a couple of properties under their belt, some people want you know, tens, hundreds of properties. It's really um, an individual thing based on what your goals are and where you see yourself in the future your property mentor will discuss that strategy with you and your mortgage broker's job is to find a way to implement that with the banks and so it's really important that everybody's on the same page so that we all know where you're headed otherwise you'll end up potentially with a loan that's not going to suit you or a property that's not going to suit you one Other really important question that you need to make sure that the mortgage broker answers is how much deposit am I going to need for this? Mm. Because depending on the property and depending on the situation, that's going to be different and you need to be aware what your cash outlay is going to be before you start. Something that's worth mentioning is that not the same loan doesn't always suit every person.
0: Yes, okay. So
1: um, different investment strategies, different property strategies will have different kinds of home loans that will suit Different kinds of incomes will have different kinds of loans that will suit, so I mean Self-employed is going to be different to PAYG employee on a straight based salary mm. um, If you're buying in a self-managed super fund the type of loan in the product that you're looking for is going to be different to a standard investment product um, The amount of deposit that you're going to need is going to be different to a standard investment product So These are all things that a mortgage broker will be able to guide you on
0: So, Chelsea, something else that you do that I recently learned about is that you're able to let someone know what their borrowing capacity is, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but is how much a lender, being the banks, for example, is willing to loan you. So, how does that work and what sort of things are you looking at in order to get that figure?
1: So, different banks have different ways of working out people's borrowing capacity. Uh, They look at you know, expenses in different ways. I look at uh, rental incomes in different ways. I look at incomes in different ways. So um, basically what I do is a really broad brush approach, the, a way that, you know, most lenders are going to accept. Um, some lenders are a lot tighter on borrowing capacity than others. So I, I go with one that's kind of mid-range so we get a good indication of what people can borrow. Things that they look for are uh, if you're single or a couple – do you have any children? Um, how much are you earning? And they separate out base salary versus overtime or bonuses. Um, self-employed is looked at in different ways. So with those, usually I need to get financials so that I can work out what you earn according to the way a bank's going to view it. Um, they also look at other liabilities. Things like hex debts are included in that, um, zip pay, after pay, all of those kind of uh, buy now, pay later schemes are included as a uh, credit limit so they they kind of reflect the same way as a credit card does Um, things like private school fees life insurance banks uh, separate those out as commitments as well so um, putting your kids through private school most banks will look at that similarly to a personal loan
0: okay so so what you're gauging is I don't want to say it's a guess, but it's a it's a pretty a pretty good guess of what banks would be able to uh, loan. And then when does it sort of become this this is a solid concrete figure that you could loan be loaned Sorry.
1: Yeah. So if a client wants to go ahead and do a pre approval, then I get all of the actual supporting documents off them. So I'll uh, get their bank statements, their pay slips, um, ID anything else that the bank might need. Uh, POIG summaries are quite common, um, particularly if you've got income beyond a base salary or if you're casual. Um, And then once I've got all of that document in hand, I can actually work out exactly what a bank will do. And we submit an application to a bank so that they can confirm.
0: And pre-approval is when they just approve you. But then there's also a sort of second part, isn't there, where they approve the property as well? How does that work?
1: Yeah, so there's two different types of pre-approval. The first one is a pre-qualification, which basically says based on all the information that you've input, we'll give you pre-qualified approval, uh, which doesn't really mean a lot. A lot of lenders are doing it that way. At the moment, they've sort of pulled out of doing real pre-approvals just because they're so busy and pre-approvals have a less likely chance of going through. Um, because not everybody that does a pre-approval ends up buying a house or going through that bank. There are banks that do proper pre-approvals, which means that they actually assess the application as if it was a real loan, as if you'd bought a property and they go through all of your documents and they uh, check and make sure that you are the kind of person that they want to be lending to and that they'll lend to you the amount that you want. Those are the types of pre-approvals that we aim for. Then, once you buy a house the bank does a valuation on the property and they offer you a formal approval. And when you buy a property with a finance clause, that's what the finance clause means, that you get formal approval. So the bank said yes to you and yes to the property.
0: Gotcha. Now you said something before that has um, sparked my interest and I think is going to spark a lot of other people's interest. When you say they look at after pay, talk me through that. Like what How how would that affect someone getting a loan? What does that look like if someone is quite an avid afterpay user asking for a friend?
1: So (laughs) for sure. So um, basically, afterpay has a credit limit. It's a loan. Um, You know, anything where you're not using your own money is considered to be a loan. So it has a credit limit. Usually, the credit limit's fairly low. It's only one or two thousand dollars, but the bank still considers that to be a credit card. So um, basically, the way that it works, as an approximation, every thousand dollars in credit card limit reduces your borrowing capacity about by about four or five thousand. So, if you are looking for a five hundred thousand dollar property and you want to take a ninety percent loan, so that's four fifty, and your borrowing is really tight, I'll say to you, you need to close those afterpay facilities because otherwise, we're not going to be able to get it through. So, I mean, a two thousand dollar afterpay facility limit will impact your borrowing capacity by about eight to ten thousand dollars.
0: Wow, okay, And that doesn't matter if you're quite on top of it and paying everything Absolutely back on time. Not. Is no. that just does it sort of go both ways? if
1: not at all? Wow. So it's like um, I get a lot of clients who have got you know money in their region or, or they've got a credit card, but it's always paid off. right At the end of the day, the mm. banks use mm. the full credit limit because there's no reason that you can't draw it all the way back up to full, right? Even if you pay it off every month. It's still a $15,000 limit that you can use, or a $2,000 limit that you can use. So they don't, they look at your um, paying it off as good conduct, but they don't look at it as something that's going to benefit you in terms of borrowing capacity.
0: They don't reward you for it. Okay. (laughs) That's very good to know. If you wanted to get fit or start a fitness program, you wouldn't run a marathon if you hadn't yet mastered jogging. You also wouldn't begin weight training by lifting 30 kilo dumbbells. There are of course multiple ways to keep fit through a variety of sports and exercise programs, however there is a process to getting into shape and achieving peak performance. It's the same when it comes to investing in property. You need to start by doing some self-assessment of where you are now to where you'd like to be. This would be your fitness test. You have to find your team of experts who will help you along the way. These would be your trainers. And learn how other people invest, including the mistakes they've made. Only then can you start to look at how you will achieve your property investing goals. Property Fit assists you with all of this. It's the latest book from experienced property investor, entrepreneur, and founder and CEO of The Property Mentors, Luke Harris. It's the book that will guide you through the groundwork you need to cover before you start investing, exploring all the ways to invest in property by helping you find a strategy that will lead to the ultimate goal of financial freedom. Property Fit is your easy-to-read, practical book, including mentor tips and mindset insights, as well as proven strategies that seasoned investors or those just starting out in property will find invaluable. Visit propertyfitbook.com.au to purchase your copy and get your property portfolio in shape for financial freedom. Have, Have you got any examples of what's happened when maybe someone hasn't used a mortgage broker and they've tried to do things on their own?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, banks do, uh, you've probably heard of cross collateralization of property.
0: I've not, you could explain that to me if, you, if you'd like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Basically what that means is when you have a home loan with a bank mm-hmm. and you wanna buy an investment property, what banks will do if you go to the same bank and you don't talk about it with them, they will have both properties securing both loans. Now, at face value, that doesn't really seem like a problem. But what it means is that in the future, if you go to sell one of those properties, the bank has to revalue the other one. And if the other one's gone down in value, it means that you actually have to pay that loan down. So I had a client once who had a loan cross-collateralized on a home and investment property, and this was in Perth. And it was just post the mining boom, so when everything was sort of coming back mm. um, down to more reasonable rates. So he'd overpaid for one of his um, properties and he uh, decided that it was never going to go back up in value again and it was costing him a lot of money and the tenant that he had um, caused some damage to the property. So he decided he was going to sell it as is and he ended up selling it for quite a significant loss but it just covered the loan. So he was happy with that because that meant he could pay out the loan. Mm-hmm. However, because it was cross-securitized, his house had actually also gone down in value because it was also in Perth and it had gone down in value about 100000 So when it came to paying off the loan, the bank said, well, actually, you're going to have to pay $80,000 off your house as well. Uh, and so the, uh, because you, you've got to still be under 80% of the value of that property. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have enough money to do that as well. So we ended up having to get him two personal loans one for, uh, two for $40,000 each, so that he could pay the bank down, so that he could settle on the property that he'd sold. So that would be one of the things that a mortgage broker, if they know what they're doing, would suggest that you don't do because cross collateralization can have a dangerous impact. But banks do it ordinarily, so they will... It's, it's the easiest, cleanest way of having it look in your accounts um, because it means you've only got two loans, one for the house, one for the investment property. And... Hmm. Um, and so they just do it as it's not something that they think about, but it can cause a problem.
0: Yeah, okay. So you can you can see why an expert like yourself mm-hmm. would make this so much easier because that all sounds like a bit of a headache, to be honest, if you if you're not a, <laughs> if you're not an expert in that field.
1: No, exactly. I mean, you know, when you're doing it once or twice for yourself, it's you've got a very different knowledge base to when you're doing it once or twice a day.
0: Right, exactly. You're living and breathing it, you're doing it day in, day out, yeah. Exactly. So from your perspective, uh, and because people are always wanting to know this, what is happening in the market right now? What's happening in the lending world? You know, are pe- like what are lenders doing? What are they maybe scared of? What are they cautious
1: of? Um Interest rates have been at historical lows for a really long time. Mm. Fixed rates with banks are a really good indication of what banks think interest rates are going to do in the future. And over the last three months, there's been two rises in fixed rates, which indicates that the banks are seeing that in the near future, interest rates overall are going to start to rise. Um, There are a lot of banks who are becoming more cautious with the way they handle investment interest-only loans, Um, but not all of them. There are a variety of banks that are still very, very open to investors and still offer great products and great rates. Again, another reason to have a mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of banks in the last three months have implemented what's called a debt-to-income ratio, um, which basically means that they look at how much debt you have versus how much your total income is. And if it's more than six times, they start to put the brakes on a little bit. But again, not all banks, it's just knowing which ones to use in that situation.
0: I want to quickly go back for a second regarding the importance of sourcing the right mortgage broker for you. Now, some people might already have a mortgage mm-hmm. broker uh, or they know one through a friend of a friend, but that doesn't necessarily mean they would be the right one for you. So if someone is wanting to build an investment property portfolio and was searching for a mortgage broker, what are some of the things to look for and maybe the questions to ask? You mentioned that you're an investor yourself, so I feel like that would be a pretty good question to start with. Exactly
1: right. So um, as I said earlier, the majority of mortgage brokers are that they are good at doing a home loan for an yeah. occupied property and they're good at doing one investment property. Once you get beyond that, if you require a certain knowledge base as a mortgage broker to be able to find the best products for a client. And so questions that I'd be asking were, would be do you have an investment property yourself? Um, Mm. Do you have any clients that own multiple investment properties? What sort of loans do you think I should be looking for? Because if they're going to say to you things like, um, you know, you should be going investment principal and interest loans or you should be borrowing less than what you are when you've got a desire to build a portfolio, it's not necessarily good advice depending on your situation.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I think they're great questions. And I think another another good one is, are you fresh out of mortgage broker school? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How long have you been doing this? Yeah, how long before? have you been doing this? Because that's usually a nice, mm-hmm. nice indication. <laughs> Chelsea, thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time today. and Oh, my pleasure. given the market is you know given the market and the world of finance is forever changing we will have to have you Mm -hmm. on as a regular guest if you're happy to come back absolutely that'd be great well in that case i'm looking forward to our next chat me too guys thank you so much for listening to today's episode as always i hope it taught you something new Uh, As you can hear, I most certainly learned something new about Afterpay and will be reassessing any spending there. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes for that matter, please share it with your friends and your family as it helps us reach more people on their investing journey. And of course, subscribe if you want to be notified when any of our other episodes drop. If you want to know any more about us here at The Property Mentors, you can visit our website at thepropertymentors.com.au and you can find and connect with any of us on any of our socials, which are always linked in our show notes. As always, if you want to take your investing seriously and expand your knowledge, Luke's latest book, Property Fit, is available at propertyfitbook.com.au. Once again, thank you so much for listening and I will be back in your ears again next week.